a special kind of memoir about self-discovery. We'll talk about that on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by FunWise Capital. FunWise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals. Connect with FunWise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> this time of year is really fun. It's hot. It's cold. It's uh, you turn off on the AC. You turn off the AC. You open the windows. You close the windows. Uh, it's really hard to moderate the the climate in the studio, especially right now. It's very hot under the. Um, under these lights it was not so hot this morning it was actually a little chilly in here again just a difficult time of year to moderate the uh studio it's a a guessing game anyway i hope it's a a great evening wherever you are it's the first day of summer uh and I, i love summer and i think it's going by too fast already we need to slow it down we need to make uh the summers go just a little bit slower if we can tonight we're going to talk about a memoir that is about self-discovery and you know i've been thinking a lot about this lately for the last couple of weeks because i was contacted by my cousin's daughter my cousin passed away years ago his daughter contacted me to uh, inquire about our family roots and to be honest with you don't know that much and for most of my life i haven't really cared that much but it sparked a new interest in me in uh, you know, we all want to know what our roots were. And my, my guest tonight has a, a story that kind of, um, it's similar to, to discovering an interest in your roots uh, later in life. Edward DeGangi uh, was adopted at birth in New York City. As an only child, he made no effort to explore his heredity until age 67, a visit to a cemetery where members of his adoptive mother's family were buried, uh, stirred his interest. He has written a uh, memoir 
titled The uh, uh, Gift Best Given, and he's here to discuss that with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Edward Duganji to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Edward, welcome. Matt, good evening. Thank you so much for having me. It, it's my pleasure to have you. Now, as I kind of mentioned very uh, briefly in the pre-talk, uh, I, I love having authors on uh, and discussing their books, and my goal is to help promote and sell those books, and, and I make no... Uh, no, I don't think I should make any attempt to hide that from my my listeners. I, I I like to introduce them to the personality of the author behind it. But let's face it, the the main goal here is to uh, get people interested in your story, so they want to read it. Now, the, your story uh, is a, a particularly because we can't just say it's a mystery, it's a memoir. Uh, we have to give a little bit of the story to pe- pick people's interest in it a little bit and so uh it's a difficult one to not give away the the, the entire story without you know and still keep the interest in the book so uh it's a challenge for me but i look forward to the challenge and, and learning about you um so like me i understand uh you didn't show a lot of interest in your in and how I guess I'll start here. Where, at what age did you were you aware that you were adopted? Matt, I became aware that I was adopted someplace prior prior to becoming ten years old, I think. And I, you know, the the odd part with my discovery is I don't recall ever having a conversation with my adoptive parents about my being adopted. Do you remember how you found out? I sure do. Uh, they. They had a metal fireproof box. And as a matter of fact, my wife and I still have that box. And, you know, it's the box that you put the deed to the house in and the insurance policies and the the payment book for the car. And, you know, one day they were out of the house. And rather than go explore the liquor cabinet, I pulled the box out of the out of the <laughs> out of the closet and I started going through it. And, you know, there was a folder for my father and a folder for me and a folder for my mother. And. Uh, you know, I went into my mom's and there was a little white envelope in it with her name on it. And I pulled it out and there were two documents in there. And the first one I pulled out said certificate of birth by adoption. Wow. And the second one I looked at and I couldn't quite make out what it really meant. But it it became very apparent later on that it was my adoption decree. Was that traumatic or uh, how did you take that? You know, no, it was not traumatic. It was, it. I must say, you know, as long ago as it was, I, I couldn't tell you precisely how I felt. I think there was some question, a little bit of confusion, but that had been preceded by two other very minor incidents, which, uh, you know, at one point, probably six, seven years old, I was about to go out the house and and my mother stopped me and she said, well, if anyone ever tells you you're not ours, that's not true. Uh, I guess and somebody must have threatened her with. I, I would imagine. And, yeah. you know, and I sort of looked at her and I said, what is that all about? And I pondered that for a minute. And then I said, OK, I got it. Can I go out and play now? And <laughs> then the, you know, the the other piece. Um, well, now I'm digging for it. <laughs> I get it, man. Uh, I'm I'm at, I'm at that age too. <laughs> yeah, we uh, actually we had gone. I was seven years old. You know, the family went to Europe, and I was an only child. 
And we were in France. My parents you know, said, well, we're going to go out. We're going to go to an orphanage. And I said, why are we going to an orphanage? And they said something along the lines, well, wouldn't you like a little brother or a little sister? And, I, you know, I, my, I had two thoughts. Was One, I'm doing pretty well just like it is. Let's, <laughs> let's not rock the boat. I'm liking it just, just fine. And the other, you know, for a seven-year-old kid was thinking, you know, why don't you just make one? Why do right. we have to go and pick one out? So I think that also sort of brought something to mind that, that said something was different about our family. Yeah, cool. I, I, I laugh because I know my, my brother was about seven years old when I was born, and I'm certain that he had that uh, same <laughs> same feeling. That, yeah, what yeah, do we what need, do we need that for? <laughs> <laughs> and he he carried that through pretty much to, to adulthood. <laughs> we, are, we are very close now and friends now, but I know uh, he, he resented my being part of the family for a long, long time. It's a, yeah. it's I re- uh, and I remained an only child. Well, um, so a happy childhood, or yeah, and and uh, basically, on a, I mean, good, healthy upbringing. Yeah, I've had a very happy. All right, I had a very happy childhood. I've, you know, said many times that my my adoptive parents could not have loved you know a natural born child any more than they loved me. Right. You know, good. so it was it was pretty much an idyllic situation, which which is not always the case in adoption. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so that's a that's a happy story so far. So and and maybe the whole thing is, and I, again, I'm trying not to give away too much here. But um, so you got through your whole life till 67 years old before you had any interest in finding out about your birth mother. Yeah, you know, I I think it, it's pretty typical. Every now and again, I would have the thought, gee, you know, I I wonder who my mother really was. And I wonder what the circumstances were. But, you know, I didn't linger on those. They it, it had the occasional thought, sort of put it away and, and just go on with what I was doing at that point. And the other, Yeah, the other piece was I never gave a moment's thought to who my father was. Now, I was just going to ask you, your father, because uh, I know a little bit more about my mother's family, but not much more than my father's family. But my father's family was much bigger, and I never had any interest. I'm 63, or going to be 63 in two months. Uh, I don't know why I'm rushing that, but I'm in my <laughs> 63rd year. It's, it's coming one way or another. Right. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I get, make it there. Uh, but... I never really had any interest until uh, a relative got in touch with me, and I started thinking about like how little I know about either side, but in particular my father's side. So, yeah. your, your father, you still don't care about? Is that do I have that correct? My my biological father, I really didn't give a lot of thought to, and then when I started this journey to dis- discover my background, quite by accident through a DNA test, actually, I learned who my my biological father had been wow cool so you know something about him that's that's important i don't know why it's important to me at this age to kind of understand you know i it's not like i i want to make contact with anybody on that side of the family or any or on either side of the family but just to understand who we are i think that's it that's an important thing and if you go through life never really understanding your roots you really know yourself (laughs) <laughs> I, I think it's important. You know, you at, you reach a point someplace in life where you just want to know where it is you came from. Right. So uh, can can we talk about 
the the catalyst that got you interested in this without giving away a major part of the book or major part of the story or sure sure actually we were up in new jersey and this was in 2017 and my wife's mother and father had passed away within 6 months of each other and we were up there to bury my father-in-law's remains. And coincidentally, the cemetery where we were doing that was in very close proximity to the cemetery where the family of my adoptive mother was interred. And just because we were so close, we went over there and I was standing at the, the grave of my maternal adoptive grandparents And there was a piece that just said, boy, you know, if you're ever going to find out anything, you know, time is running short. You you should start. And that was kind of triggered by, you know, number one, there were a lot of TV shows at at that point with finding your roots and long lost family. And so that had sort of spurred me a little bit. And the other piece, which I think was even more impactful, was a was a book that I had read recently. And I was actually, I think, on my third reading of it at that time. And it was a book called The Lost, and it was written by a, a pretty well-known author who, who lost six members of his extended family during the Holocaust. Wow. And he knew, yeah, he knew what happened in general terms, but he went on a search because he wanted to know precisely what happened to each one of them. Wow. And it's a fabulous book. And I'd be scared. I, to be honest with you, I mean, just thinking about that, I'd be scared about opening up that can of worms. There was no it. good news to be found there. Yeah. There was yeah. There, you know, he, they perished in the Holocaust, which is enough. But you know, he, he wanted to know the circumstances. And, and lo and behold, he found them. And he traveled the entire world and found people who came from the same village in Ukraine and knew his parents and and slowly you know it was breadcrumbs you're just putting connect the dots i guess right so with you how much work how much work was this uh i don't want to call it an obsession i don't want to put words in your mouth but this quest to find out about your birth mother how much how much actual effort was it quite hard well it it was a lot of effort but, you know, once I cracked a couple of pieces of the story, then the rest of the story started coming more easily to me. And, you know, I, without giving away a tremendous amount of the story, yeah. you know, what I discovered, I, I had always assumed, you know, that my mother was a high school girl who, who stayed out too late after the prom one night and a couple of months later found out that she had made a big mistake. And what I found out, though, that, you know, my birth mother was 23 when I was born. And and I learned that she had been a a celebrity in the big ice skating shows of the 1940s and 1950s. Wow. And when I discovered, you know, I, I had her birth name. I had a stage name, she assumed. And then I had a, ma- a name when she got married seven years after my birth. And once I had those pieces, it was a lot easier to search. And pieces just sort of came rolling to me, even though there were there's some pretty spectacular coincidental events that really, really gave me a lot to work with. 
All right. Uh, now that there is a lot to work with here in within this framework. Now, uh, I think it's important to let people know that uh, back then, ice skating was a major, major sport. I mean, it was much more uh, in the public consciousness and i know it is now in the olympics and things like that but then it was it was it was one of the big it was up there with anything else that that we think of as as professional sports in these days well it wasn't Uh, even so much sports as entertainment right right. you know the theaters had ice services ballet ballet yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and so there's that part of it now um um with and i i'm gonna go down this road but <laughs> your your last name is Deganji, which sounds Italian. But uh, I doubt uh, that that ended up being your actual heritage, right? So does that does that part of it uh, change your identity at all? Knowing that you know you grew up with with this Italian last name, and you're not even any, or are you? I don't know. That's yeah, my that. my paternal adoptive family was Sicilian. Yeah, and you know, is a typical loud, raucous, loving right. Italian family. On the on my adoptive mother's side, they were they were from Ukraine, right. and they were kind of more subdued and kind of kind of dialed back. But interestingly, you know, in my gut, even though the Italians were the ones who were always around and always hugging and kissing, I, yeah, I always felt more of an affinity for the. For my mother's side of the family, yeah, uh, you know what, me too. And I grew up in an Italian, well, not a, a half and half. My my father was a full blooded Italian, my mother was Irish and German. Okay. But I uh, a very big Italian family, but didn't really know them that well, and always gravitated more towards the mother's side. I think that's probably anytime you, you boys growing up. I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass. I don't yeah. really know. <laughs> well, but I. I feel like we gra- gravitate towards the mom's side of uh, the family, those cousins and that part of the family more than, than the other side. I don't know. Yeah, way. it's interesting. But when I did the DNA test, you know, the first thing, and I only did DNA to find out what my ethnicity was. Uh, really? There was no Italian there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I found was about 50% Eastern European, which is mostly mostly Polish. Right. There was another almost 30% Ashkenazi Jew, which again came out of Eastern Europe. So not to be too ter- ter- uh, stereotypical here, but you, that means you're a genius, right? Yeah, that must be <laughs> Ashkenazi it. Ashkenazi yes. They're all the smart, uh, from what I understand, the highest IQ group of, of any group of Somebody people. told me that just today, as a matter of fact, and I don't know yeah. if that's true or not. But uh, well, I th- I've, I've heard it from enough sources that I, and uh, you know, people who are scholars about these things, I, I, I tend to think there's, there's something to it. Uh, but you know, whatever. And I don't, again, I know that's stereotypical, but it's kind of like a, a um, very openly discussed thing within psychology and, and people who study such things, intellect and stuff like that. If you got, if you want to be smart, you should get some of that, that Ashkenazi gene. <laughs> <too>. uh, <laughs> um, so that, any pain or any like really um, uh, difficult moments that that you uh, wounds that you that you opened up in your discovery in this or and, and without if so without giving away the specifics of it no i was you know i i pursued this just sort of as, as an academic exercise i just wanted to know 
And interestingly, I think had I found out my birth mother had been that high school girl, I probably would have said, well, I found enough and just stopped right there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When she, you know, when I found out about her career and all the things she had done in the places she had been, I just kind of got drawn right into that. You didn't go after her estate, did you? (laughs) That's a whole story in itself. That's a story in itself. Yeah. You know, I've I've told the story, you know, it's not in the book, so I can share it here. You know, I've always said that, you know, that my my birth mother lived every little girl's dream, but that thing just sort of came crashing down around her at the end of her life. Oh, that's terrible. You know, it's it's kind of a sad story toward the end. So there was there was nothing to go after. That's yeah. Um, well, well, you know what? If she had a good life, what difference does it make? You know, I think uh, she did. Yeah, and uh, you know, because I, I think, not you know, to go over this point. So, because I've talked about this so many times on the show that I, I'm a broken record about, but living a life that is fulfilling to you—that's the greatest gift. Yep. And I know your book is called "The Gift Best Given," but the the best gift is to have a dream and to live a life on your own terms and on doing the things that you want to do in life. So if she did that, then she was the richest woman who ever lived in my eyes. You know, She so. was a very industrious woman. That skating career had been her goal since she was a little girl. Right. And once she retired, she, she went about pursuing a couple of other goals and yeah, was quite, quite active, quite successful. Cool. Now, uh, the, I'm showing the for the people on the audio side. I would definitely recommend sometimes checking out the video uh, part, portion of this program. Showing the cover now. It's called the uh, the gift best giving, and it's a memoir. And there's a Polaroid. It looks like a Polaroid on, on the on the front cover. Is that a, your mom in that picture? The, your your birth mom or your adopted mom? No, that's my birth mother. Okay. And the picture this the, this comes with rather a long story. Uh, I had found out that my birth mother was skating with an organization called Ice Follies in 1947. And by just backing up for my birth date, I knew I was conceived in August of 1947. I was very fortunate enough to find an Ice Follies program that gave their, their 1947 itinerary and it put them in San Francisco for the entire summer. And when I met my maternal half-brother, you know, and I I introduced myself. He just shook his head and he said, my mama would have told me. He said, yeah, tell me again, what kind of kin are you? (laughs) I said, you and I shared the same mother. You know, we had different fathers. And he kept on telling me, no, she was with my daddy all, all, all the time. And I said, your mama, my mama, was in San Francisco in August of 1947. And we had gone to visit him, and he pulled out a big picture album, a photograph album. And it was, you know, my birth mother is meticulous in tracking every place she had been, you know, through through these brownie snapshots. And every one of them was in black and white. And he, you know, we went from 1943 to 44. And as we approached 1947, I said, you know, one more time. I said, yeah, your mother, my mother was in San Francisco in August of 1947 with Ice Follies. And he shook his head no. And as we flipped the page, this color picture, which was the only color picture in the entire album, 
was in the middle of the page and it's labeled August 1947, San Francisco, California. <laughs> we call this the date picture. We assume this might have been the magic night. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Wow, that's kind of heavy. Um, so did he resent you at all in any way? Because finding out your, your mom, you know, had another husband or another, you know, had another child before you were born. She wasn't, she didn't marry the guy, the guy, right? So. No, I don't even think my birth father knew that I existed. So was he resentful? Because not, not necessarily resentful, but mad at you for, for ruining his, his, is vision of uh, innocent mother. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's a good way to describe it. You know, we had talked several times by telephone before we finally met. And several times he asked me, now tell me again, what kind of kin are we? And I would go through the same explanation. He changed the subject. And by the time we got down to, he, he lives in Georgia. By the time we got down there, he asked that one more time, and he was very open to meeting me. Wow. He was very open to my coming to visit. And when this picture came up, I think it sort of made him think, okay, maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. Right. But he went back, you know, he put this album away pretty quickly. And <laughs> I had brought a copy of my adoption decree with me. And that decree had four signatures. It had both of my adoptive parents. It had their attorney. And it had the signature of the woman who had placed me for adoption. And right. by then, I knew she had a very, very distinctive handwriting. And he looked at it, and you could see, you know, he knew at that point. But he, he kind of looked, and he handed it back to me. And he said, do you want a beer? <laughs> and I... So I took, I took the beer, but I, <laughs> I said, this is a photocopy. It really has no value at this point other than to you and to me. Yeah. And I said, if you would like to keep it, that's fine for whatever reason. And he did, and it, probably three, four days later, he called me back, and he said, I spoke to so-and-so, and this was somebody I knew as somebody he trusted. He said, I showed them that piece of paper. And there was silence. And I said, okay, what did they say? And he said, well, they asked me if that's mama's signature. Uh -huh. And there was more silence. And I said, well, what did you say? And well, she said, well, I told him that's my mama's signature. Yeah. And I said, well, what did they tell you? He said, he looked at me and he said, Ted, looks like you got yourself a brother. And uh, are you, I'm just, he's got to be younger than you, right? So Yeah, he I'm is eight you. years younger than I right. am. And, and still alive? Yeah, <laughs> good, yeah good. He's, he's accepting. There was actually a younger half-brother who was not alive who, who died under rather un, oh, un, sorry to hear that. Yeah, un, yeah, un, unhappy circumstances. Yeah, you know what? It's part of. I don't mean to be too cold, but people our age and, and older die. I mean, yeah, yep. uh, I had a good friend who I've known all my life uh, pass away this morning. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it, but I'm I'm almost at this point. So many of my so many people my age. Every day, I feel guilty that I'm still alive in, in some way. I mean, thankful, but also like, sure. why I should have been dead so many times. In yeah, my youth. just random. Right. So your relationship with, with your half-brother, uh, your brother, right, is a good one now? You're, you're, yeah, you're... it's fine. We talk frequently. You know, he's 
with COVID, we've not been down there in a while, and he's been asking, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And Yeah, you know, because so it sounds like when he would kept asking you, tell, tell me again, tell me again, like it's part of him didn't want it to be true. That's what it just sounds he did. like. He did. And it's exactly as you said. It was a – that's not what he wanted to think about his mother. Yeah. Well, and he, he told me later, he said, well, I guess every woman has a secret. That's that's yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think I would be wanting that. I think I, I'd want if, if I had somebody come into my life and they had enough like like they were it felt right. Like they weren't just scamming me or after something from me. And they said they were my half brother, half sister, whatever. I'd want to get to know and I'd want that. Um, that maybe it's just my personality makeup, but I'd kind of want that to be true. Yes. There's somebody else I'm connected to in this world. Absolutely. Else, you know? And I um, think, you know, what came down to, he had lost his mother. He had lost his brother. And, you know, suddenly somebody was coming in to, to kind of refill the family a little bit. Right. I wrote a song about, uh, the other night because I was, I told, uh, you know, there's a line in it. Um, because my mother, when she was very old, she came here to hospice in my house. And she told me that my father had had an affair and that there was a, a half-sister. And I was like, no. And my brother still doubts it to this day. Right. I haven't really approached the person. I, I know who they are. I haven't said a word to them about it. But the idea that it's out there. Is intriguing to me, and every time I, I, if I do see her, it's like I look at her like, could that be? Yeah, maybe. And it's possible she doesn't know. Oh, I'm sure she doesn't. I'm yeah. sure she doesn't. I'm absolutely certain she doesn't. But yeah, so but for me, it it, it felt uh, good to know. Uh, but so now, you know, your relationship is good with him, and, and he's okay with it. So that that's a good thing. Maybe. Uh, maybe when he finally realized it, uh, you know, the, the proof was there, he embraced it and said, you know what, this is a good thing. It's a good you thing. You know, in fairness to him, had I found out my mother was alive, right. I had thought a hundred times of how do you, how do you delicately approach that to, you know, to make that, that reintroduction. I didn't give that much thought to what if I find a half brother? I just right. kind of, kind of stormed in and said, "Hey, yeah, I'm here." So you know, it's the the shock or the surprise is understandable. I think. Did it change his judge in the way? Does he have judgment towards his mother now, your mother? Uh, but did it kind of, I don't know, jade him? Because we want to think of our mothers as pure virgins, you know, angels, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that, if you got through your whole life to your 60 or whatever, or close to 60 and find out, that could rock your world a little bit. No? I don't think it did. I think he's I think he's totally fine. He just absolutely worshipped his mother, right. which is a wonderful thing. And I don't think that has changed in the least. Did he grow up with his, his uh, birth father, too, and your mother married his father? Yeah, his... Um, his mother, our mother, got married in 1955 to a man who was 19 years older than she was. Wow. Also another another performer. And oh. the two of them, you know, they created a business together. He was quite a quite a character, but they all, yeah, they all lived together. And they right. lived in, in rural Georgia. You know, my my brother grew up as a as a country kid in southern Georgia in the in the nineteen sixties. 
Now that's interesting, but uh, you were adopted at birth in New York City, so I'm uh, guessing Correct. the Ice Follies made its way to New York City by the time you were born, whenever that was, 1947, 1948, whatever that was. Uh, so you did you grow up in New York City? Yes, I did. Actually, my birth mother came from New York City as well. Okay. So she uh, was. Uh, she came home to manage her pregnancy, and then then the the subsequent adoption. I grew up in between Manhattan, Queens, a little bit on Long Island, and and then back again. What part of Long Island? Uh, my mother, my adoptive mother's family came from West Islip. Okay, I Adam played there did. last weekend. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, this is interesting. So your mother, uh, after she got it, when she was done with the ice follies, obviously, uh, went to Georgia uh, to live the rest of her life. Is that do I have that correct? Pretty much. She went from ice follies, toured after my after I was born right. for several years. But when she retired, she and her husband then went down to Georgia. Yeah, so a New York City lady, and uh, and you know, well, but she traveled the world, not necessarily the world, but a good part of North America with the ice follies. But ending up down south because I I'm under the impression that you also ended up down south. Now, were you in North Carolina? And do I have that correct? First of all, I'm but, in uh, I'm in North Carolina right now. Oh, were you um, in North Carolina when you found when you went through this discovery? Yes, I was. Okay, but That's that was coincidental. You know, we I grew up in New York City. Is it a coincidental or is it because you know these studies where you're twins they separate <laughs> twins and they and they go through the same kind of experiences and stuff moving down south in in the whole bit do, do you think there's anything to that that it's you know some of your uh choices in life are hereditary you know I've thought about it before, but I don't think so. I think the one thing that maybe is hereditary is my mother left her home in New York City in Flushing in 1942. She was 17 years old. She traveled alone across the country by train to become a, a backup performer in a little touring ice show in, in Vancouver. And for the rest of her life traveled. And I, I remember, you know, leaving New York to go to New Jersey for for work and my italian relatives are saying you're going where <laughs> and they, they couldn't believe anybody would leave queens right <laughs> and so they thought that was crazy but you know i i ultimately and my wife and i went from new york and then for career purposes lived in houston texas for 12 years moved wow. from houston to pittsburgh for about the same amount of time and then i came to south carol up to north carolina for you know for a for a career move. I think that's the first time I've ever heard anybody said they moved to Pittsburgh. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't I, process that. No, I know. I, I, <laughs> believe me, I had some second thoughts. Yeah. I mean, people move from Pittsburgh, right? They don't move to Pittsburgh. Does anybody move to Pittsburgh? Um, they do now. When, yeah, we, when we moved there, there were more people leaving than entering. You know, I think it's a beautiful city. I've seen pictures now, and it's not what I remember it in the 1970s, because I made a couple of stops there in the 1970s, and I was like, man, this place is like New York, but even dirtier. <laughs> it, it was a steel mill. Everything it, was just covered right, with yeah. dust. Yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. So now uh, I want to ask you about y your mom because she said she left at, at your birth mother because she left home at 17. Uh, if this is in the book and then you could just say yeah, it's in the book. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> but uh, uh, was she a runaway? Did her parents approve of her going off to the ice follies? Did they know about all this stuff? They reluctantly let her go. 
but they there was a there was a total voluntary thing. She well, was a different she wanted to go. She had an opportunity, right. and they took her to the train station in Grand Central and put her on a train. And three days later, she was in Vancouver. Wow, wow, Vancouver! It's not like even Montreal. Vancouver is no. a long way from the. <laughs> no, it was New York to Chicago, Chicago to Seattle, oh Seattle God. to Imagine. Vancouver. And- Do you have kids? I have one son. Can you imagine at 17 putting him on a train to go 3,000 miles away not to a, another not country? A, not a prayer. <laughs> not a prayer. And that's that's what's so remarkable about it. You know, just I, I think her brave, you know, her being brave enough to do it. And back then, the parents saying, okay, you know, if if that's your dream, then, then go chase it. Right. Now, uh what I think what's important to kind of get delve into here is you're an author now. You've written a memoir. You're officially an author. Was being an author always on your radar? No, no. It's, <laughs> it's you know as 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 this story evolved, as my search evolved, as this, as the discoveries evolved, I just started recording it piece by piece, and I've always I've always written well. You know, I got right. published in my high school yearbook. Of course, yearbook you're an Ashkenazi and, Jew. Come on, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my yeah, my career has always involved having to uh, to do written communication. So you know, I've had bosses who who said, "Here, you write it. You're the wordsmith." Right. So I knew I could put together you know good chapters. But when I was done, I had a stack of paper that said, "Here's the journey." And another stack of papers that said, "Here's what I found," and even to me, it didn't didn't seem like a real coherent book at the time. Right. And I, you know, I had an editor who took it from me, and and she came back to me and she said, "Yeah, I want you to look at what I've done," and she kind of took those two pieces, the two decks of story, and shuffled them like you would a deck of cards, and it fell into place just beautifully. So now, I think I think the writing is good, but the editing really made it a good. A that's good interesting. Vehicle. Editing, because uh, that goes contrary to, and not that I know anything. Again, I'm I'm just talking out my ass here. I don't know anything, but contrary to my, because I grew up with uh, in in recording studios where people used to say, "Well, fix it in the mix," and like they'd say, "That's impossible. You can't fix it in the mix. You, it's got to be good from the start." Editing and 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 all that kind of stuff can help, but unless you got really good stuff to begin with, you record you you have good content there to edit. Uh, you can't you can't be made better in the mix. So that that's kind of part of my. Uh, I don't know, philosophy or, or belief system about art work in general, about any kind of work of art. Yeah, what took place though, Matt, is you know, she did not go and change the content. What she did was she rearranged it. Right. And you know, I sort of saw book one and a book two, or okay. or part one and part two. And she said, No, don't break it up like that. Take your first piece of, of search. You know, and then integrate what it was you found. Take your next piece of search and and go like that. And it 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 ran. You know, at that point, it read like a very smooth story. Was it a fun process to write, or was it a difficult process to write? No, I enjoyed it. Right. I really did. Yeah. How, I, lo- how long did it take you? I, 
start to finish starting to write to the time the book was published was was about three years okay now include the research years on top of that yeah there was a ton of research i did wow. and yeah. you know and even you talked about the you know what it would be like to go three thousand miles on a train i i researched that train trip real real carefully wow and, did you, you know, actually take it no but you oh. know next year is my <laughs> next year is my 75th birthday and my wife and I have been talking about it. I said, it would be neat to fly to Chicago and get on that same train and go across the country. Wow. And we might very well do that. That same train, obviously modernized, right. still yeah, runs it. exactly the same route. Still runs uh, the same route, but it's not yeah. as jiggly. or No, know. <laughs> no. And I imagine she sat up and coached for three days. And But she was 17. So you yeah. can... You can deal with that stuff at seventeen. At seventeen, you can deal with anything. A lot easier than seventy-five. Yeah, but I, there you I, go. I would be compelled to take that trip too. I would definitely yeah. want. Yeah, I really, I would. I just want to sit there and and experience what she experienced, just as if nothing else, looking out the window. Yeah. Um, now uh, I got to ask you about this because on your website it says uh, now July fourteenth is a screening at the Hollywood Music well, screening of what? Is there a film? Yeah, my mother, when she joined that first touring group in Vancouver, uh, the group moved down to San Francisco, then Las Vegas, then into Los Angeles and and kind of kind of circled around, you know, Southern California for a bit, then flew into Mexico City and performed for a real long time in Mexico City. But when they got back to California, there were no future bookings. Wow. And my mother yeah, I, I don't think she was paid an awful lot to start with, you know, needed to raise the fare to get back to New York. So she did two things. One is she got herself a job bagging coffee for Maxwell House. And that building still exists in Los Angeles. It's it's now a luxury office and residential building. Yeah, it used to be just an old factory building. But the other thing that was going on is, you know, as you alluded to early was ice skating was big entertainment. Yeah. And Sonia Henney was the highest paid right, actress in Hollywood at the time. And she was doing movies with ice skating, but another lesser studio brought in a woman by the name of Belita, who was a superior dancer and a superior ice skater and made a number of movies with her. And my mother appeared as an extra in those movies. Wow, cool. So, you know, when I found that out, I was able to get a DVD of one of them. It's a, a movie called Lady Let's Dance. And in three or four places, my mom comes skating through the through the scene. And it's 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 real fun. The first time was just was just so great. It's you know, you see your mother as an 18-year-old and and on ice skates, and you know, it was a great thing. Yeah. So so we're doing a screening at the senior center nearby. And cool. just yeah, giving it some, giving the people some entertainment, and you know, are you, and also some are you enjoying the, the life book. of a celebrity author now with these screenings and events that you're doing. I guess some of the other ones are, are that the events on here are like book signings and stuff. But yeah, uh, actually, June 27th, even before that that screening, you have a something at Kingwood Library in Kingwood, Texas. Yeah, and then on Sept uh, September 3rd, you're in uh, Sparta, North Carolina, and then. Uh, again, October, you're back in Raleigh, North Carolina, my brother's uh, town now. So are you enjoying this part of uh, the 
experience of being an author? Yeah, this is kind of a pseudo celebrity, you know. It's, <laughs> no, it's got to be I, fun. I enjoy I'm, the I enjoy the interactions, and I enjoy I love the story, and I love telling it. Yeah, you know? so I get a great, a great deal story. of pleasure. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, are interested in the story, but some people are probably inspired by the story, and maybe. You know, it's not too late for me to find out about my roots, and you don't have to be adopted to uh, to relate to this story. Because, as I mentioned, I'm not adopted, but uh, there are so many things about my family that I, I'm curious about now. And of course, reading a book like this would would enhance that and make me want to go out. And does just even knowing this book exists make me want to go out and do some more investigation? So there's that. Um, has it has it given you inspiration to keep writing, or do you see another book in the future? Well, yeah, I've just I actually came back from a writing group I'm part of today, and been reading from a short story that I just recently finished. But my bigger goal is, I, I guess, another in general terms, a sequel to this book, which would talk about my mom's life from the time, I guess, the day after I was adopted. Wow. To to 1962, when she returned to New York for her parents' 50th anniversary, and yeah, she did some interesting things in there. She she traveled in South America and the Caribbean ex- extensively, and and spent a great deal of time there skating. And she also traveled and toured Europe. So I I want to get that that travel and the the entertainment part in. But I also want to have some discussion about, you know, what a woman goes through after she relinquishes a child for adoption. Yeah, and, probably was and different then than it is now, but still a. Uh, I, I don't know how it's changed, but I know, you know, there had to be some stigma for it, especially for a you know twenty three year old girl to give up uh, a child like that, and people knew she was pregnant, and then all of a sudden it's not there. Questions to ask, people are just you know, relentless and rude and, and... Well, actually, to back up on this a little bit, she managed her pregnancy in secret. Really? Yeah, the only people who knew were her oldest sister and her sister's husband. Skated? And at the time? She skated until... I was conceived in August. She skated until January. Wow. And then quietly, you know, she she created a story for the management at Ice Follies and and said, my doctor said, I'm exhausted and I, I really need to take a break. And she left the show and sequestered herself in a sublet apartment in New York City and, and managed this thing pretty much all on her own. My belief is even her husband, when she, when she later got married, never knew. I don't think anybody knew. Oh, wow. That's pretty curious. Uh... So, you know, and I think what it is, is, you know, it's a... As you said, there's probably some stigma attached. There's some level of shame, but I think you know, it it's a traumatic thing to give away a child, right? And yeah. I don't think that ever leaves you. You mentioned that she had brothers and sisters, and I was going to ask you about that. And they were both older. She had two older sisters and an older brother. Okay, so she was the youngest. She was the baby of the family. Yeah. Uh, extended family that you found out about cousins and stuff like that, or uh, no, you haven't. Yeah, yeah. Just recently, we actually had dinner with a with a first cousin down in South Carolina, 
Uh, we're going to go up in August and meet his half brother or his brother. So my other first cousin up in Vermont. Wow. And we had met another cousin who unfortunately has since passed away. So, and everybody's been very, very embracing. Right. And my first question to each one of them when I met them is, you know, is, did you know? And the answer has been uniform. It said, if anybody in our family knew, everybody would have known. <laughs> so the, the word yeah. was not out there. Yeah, I would have to say that's probably a common thing. Like, that's a hard thing to keep a secret. But that, your mom obviously was able to keep a secret. But I don't know, man. That's a tough thing you want to talk. That's really remarkable. Well, that's yeah, and that's part of this sequel. There was a there's a woman who appears in the in in the gift best given, right. who who played a, a a substitute role for for Genevieve's mother, my my mother's mother, and and my uh, so in 1962 in this book, I will have her go back and and have an extended conversation with that same woman to talk through everything that's happened emotionally over those past several years. Right. Because and she's the one person who does know everything that she that knows happened. she got all the, she knows where all the bodies are buried. She was there. <laughs> now you said you had one child, a son, right? Yeah, we've right. got a son. How did, how does this affect him at all? Is he, is he interested at all? Does it affect you know what? I think he's interested, but he's kind of like me. We told him, and he said, ah, "That's cool." And that's <laughs> that was pretty much it. Yeah, he's been down to Georgia. He's met my brother down there, and yeah, so he knows the family story. Hasn't changed his life. Wow, uh, that's just maybe it's just me because I'm interested now. But if some, somebody again, somebody told me that, I'd be like, "Wow, I gotta, I gotta know more." I got to know the full story. Do I have cousins that anybody my age? I want to go find them if they, you know, I don't know. That's just me. What was kind of, what was kind of disappointing is when I took him down to Georgia with me, uh, we had been lined up to, to meet a niece of mine. So it would have been my half brother's daughter. And the two of them are, are, they've just come apart. You know, they're, they're not connected at all. Um, and unfortunately, her child got sick, so she could, couldn't come to meet us because that would have been my son's cousin then. Right. That would have been his first cousin. That would have been kind of a neat thing. Yeah, well, that's a shame. That's a shame. Now, how 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 big a uh, read is the book? How many pages or how many? It's what? about 350 pages. 350 it, pages? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a book. <laughs> Holy smokes. It's, it's got lots of great pictures that kind of – trace you know my mother's skating career as well as some of the discoveries and 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 what we you know what we found along the way it's it's you know it, it's a lot of reading but it's a fairly 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 quick read given its size wow i think you know everybody has told me once i started i couldn't put it down yeah that's very good good reviews are, are yeah, everything yeah absolutely so and we want to we want to tell anybody who picks up the book uh that make sure you do give it a, a a review because that helps authors and you know what uh be honest about it but you know make you know make sure you take the time to give a review we ask that of anybody who, who supports all of our authors it takes a minute to really just express your thoughts about the work and it does 
uh, not just good for the author's psyche when you say nice things, but it also helps the algorithms and all the search engines and all that stuff. So we encourage people to do that. Yeah, thank you. That's an important point. Yeah. The website is uh, com. And, and that's where you can find out all, all the things. These events that you're happening now are are, are do you plan on more adding more, or is that uh, is this a set calendar? Or? As Matt, as many as I could find. Really, you know, Good I I you. really enjoy them. You know, it's a I'm a self published author or independently published, so there's nobody out there looking for these events for me. I'm either going out and finding them on my own. Or, you know, in some cases, like this Kingwood Library in, in Texas, they came to me and, you know, but we have a background in Kingwood in Texas. So it was a, a nice coincidence to be able to go back there. Good for you. I'm glad to see uh, that you're enjoying this whole thing. And, and uh, you know what, do what you want to do. I mean, too many people, uh, part of the reason I started the show was to encourage people you know, don't wait until you oh, wish I would have, wish I would have, wish I could have, you know, do, do it now while you're still alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Won't get done otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but too many, too often we see people getting to the end of their lives because this is how, how this program started. Guy, I was buying an amplifier off a guy who was 69 years old, retiring from the stock market. And he was telling me that I was living the dream because I told him I played in a band and you know, he was selling me his amplifier and that signified to him that he never was going to follow his dream. And I was like, well, that, that's a sad, sad realization. That is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Nobody ever wants to get to the end of their life thinking, I wish I would have. I wish I would have. A lot of people do. I know. Um, so that's great great news for you. And I wish you a lot of success with this book. And if there's anything I can do to help you uh, promote it further or anything in these events that are all listed on the website. Now, uh, um, these are all over the country, right? I mean, Texas and well, North Carolina is your home state. But well, you... Texas is about as far as I've been. Okay. <laughs> or, There's a song been. in there. Uh, <laughs> no, what was that? What was that name? But Tanya, Tanya, Tanya Hardy. Tucker? Tanya something. Glenn Campbell's ex-wife. Anyway, yeah, a Texas song. Texas is as close as I've been. It's a, if, When I die, I may not get to heaven. Well, because I don't think they let cowboys in. But if I don't, just let me go to Texas because Texas is as close as I've been. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, tangent there. Um, so, it, it, again, it's it's been great having you here. I wish you great success with this stuff. Good luck with the events. And I hope some people come out. And I hope, first of all, they go to your website and check out the events. And that's you can buy the book directly from your website, correct? Yeah, you can buy the book from the website using a credit card. I'll be happy to to sign and to autograph it. Oh, that's right. You can go to your library, and if it's not there, ask them for it. And if they that's don't offer it, order it. It's available as an ebook that you can probably download from one of their sites. Beautiful. So the book is book is widely available. Great stuff. Uh, Edward, it's been a pleasure to meet you and, and get you know you and hear uh, enough of your story that I'm intrigued and want to buy the book and, and read the book. So uh, good for you, and I'm, I'm glad you've, uh, you've uh, had this experience, and I wish you good luck with this one. And when you when your next book comes out, do me a favor. Uh, I'll come be back, in touch. Come back here, and we'll talk about it. Very good, Matt. <laughs> can, I really that, at that point, we can talk all about the details of this book and not have to worry about it. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so, so much for the invitation. Right. Thank you for being here. Bye for you now. bet.
Edward DeGangie, folks. Again, it's uh, DeGangieAuthor.com. Check it out. Uh, I hope you're interested in the book. I hope you're interested in finding out about your own roots. I know I am. I really am. I was before the show, but uh, even more so now, I have to admit. Uh, I am, um, I'm excited by this story. Uh, to me, I would, I would love it. I would not to love to find out I was adopted, but I would love to find out um, I had a uh, half brother somewhere or a half sister somewhere and actually make contact with that person and be able to have a relationship with them. That would be a pretty cool thing. And the more connections you have, especially as you get older, I feel like the more connections you have, the more fulfilling your life is going to be. Now listen to me. I sound like an old man on a soapbox. Anyway, I appreciate you being here for tonight. I have a show for you tomorrow morning, Coffee with the Dog. And John McDonough, who has been on this program, uh, Mind Oak TV podcast, uh, singer-songwriter from Pittsburgh, <laughs> uh, which I'm going to have a lot to, a lot of explaining to do to him, probably about my comment tonight about nobody moving to Pittsburgh. But he'll be with me uh, on Coffee with the Dog tomorrow morning. So until then, I'm Matt Napa for the Mind Oak TV podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great rest of your night, and bye for now.
to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.